Mindful Monday with Dr. Corliss P. Bennett. How's everybody doing today? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Would you be my neighbor? I am at my mama house. As y'all can see, the mama house look, you know, how mama house, mama houses look different. But, okay. I also have my mama in the background who's probably going to be interrupting. So I'm just going to warn you, but this is the mama house and you know, but we don't have, we don't have the sofa with the plastic on it no more, but we used to. <laughs> oh God. So yeah, then my, this is my mama house. She, she, she went up, she got rid of the, she got rid of the gold shaggy carpet. Y'all know what I'm talking about out there. So now she got floors, but that was man back in the day. We had these green, green sofa with the, mama. I thought you said you was going to go back to the other room. I am telling the truth. Okay. So as you can see, this is going to be a comic relief show. So anyway, we had that shaggy gold carpet. We had the green sofa and love seat and it had plastic the plastic cover then okay mama wave wave right quick just wave okay so y'all can't see this but my engineer can see this and she can crack up okay see that doorway right there it used to have oh what's the beads right here, right here. okay my bad okay so see the arch <laughs> see the arch here see the arch here kiana this is you gotta love this okay and then she said okay see the arch here it used to have beads hanging down, girl. 1970 in full effect. Did your mama, did your mama have that at the house, Kiana? Just give me a yes or no. Oh, grandparents. Okay. So we had the beads jumping off. And then over here, she's walking to the kitchen. We had like two, like these, remember Kathy? Do you remember that? Yeah. A wooden <laughs> door. Girl, I don't know what they was on. Some 70. <laughs> that was the 70s. Oh. So if you're listening out there and you know my personal text, please, please text me and let me know. Put a check mark if that's how your house used to look. Matter of fact, check this out. Everybody has one of those. That's a sword with some ships and a shield. I don't know why. Every time I go to somebody's house, somebody's grandparent's house, they got the sword with the shield. <laughs> so anyway. Welcome to Mindful Mondays. This is going to be an interesting show today. I have my, <laughs> I have my, I'm, y'all just, I'm, I'm in a very good mood. I don't know. I'm just in a good mood. I have my baby sister. She has when I call her that. I think she's just gotten used to it. I have my baby sister. We're only three years apart, but she's still my baby sister. I have my baby sister, Catherine Kiriyama, um, on the line. She always texts us in. And um, she is saving me today because my guest had an emergency. And so she's going to be on next week. And that's going to be a really good show. Um, so y'all stay tuned for next week. So um, so I came by my mom's because I was running late and I knew I wouldn't make it home in time. And I said, let me just go by my mama's and set up the podcast there. And my mama gave me the idea for the show. We were talking about uh, the things that are going on. So, you know, we're dealing with... Um, the whole this abortion issue, which we're not going to get into. Maybe we might have time at the end, the abortion issue. But on Wednesday's show, I have um, a return guest, Sid Dumont, who will be talking about the abortion issue from a male's point of view. 
as well as getting ready for the next elections that are happening on June 7th, which is now three weeks away. Today's the 16th. So it's three weeks away. So, you know, he talks a lot about the voter suppression piece and, and, and gives us such good information. So that's on Wednesday show in the mix conversations with Corliss and I'm sorry, with Colette and Corliss. We did that alphabetically. Colette and Corliss. So y'all stay tuned for that to hear from a male point of view about the abortion issue. I have no which way he's going. I have an idea maybe, but it's going to be a surprise to me like it will be to you when we have him on. Today though, my baby sister, um, let me let me give you some information about my baby sister and I will take all the credit. Thank you very much for all of this. So as a child, um, with me being three years older, I've always wanted to be in education. And so we live across the street from 59th Street School um, actually the same school where, um, hustle, Nipsey hustle, right? Is that his last name? Is that the guy's name? Yeah, I, was, I always want to say Nipsey. Um, um, he went to school here at 59th street school and it's really ironic, you know, years later, cause of course I don't know him. He was too young, but he actually did put money into 59th street school and they have a mural on the grounds of the basketball court, which is directly across the street from my mom's house where we grew up. He did a mural. He did, um, he fixed, um, got some more of the jungle gym slides and stuff. Uh, and he gave back to his community. So I appreciate, uh, brother man. I really do. But when I didn't realize that until after his death and they were during that time when he died in all the news um, reports, Channel 5 had done a special on him and they were showing it. He is standing on the courts and guess what's in the background? My house. I was like, whoa. And I rewind. I said, oh my God, that's my house. That's my mama. That's our house. So that's when I listened to it. And that's when I heard that he had put all this money into his elementary school and my mama house is right there in the background. So if you ever see me, you want to know, I can show you the picture because I sure, I sure was screenshotting the screen because I'm like, you know, people be saying they from the hood. I'm from the hood and, and I'm from one of the, one of the gang related hoods, um, the rolling sixties. And if you guys remember a year ago, I had a guest on Lisa who had um, been, she wrote a book. She had been to prison. And that last time in prison, she said she was done. And she wrote a book about it. Now she helps prisoners when they get out of jail to change their lives around. So we've been doing some crazy, wonderful, exciting things on Mindful Monday. And I, you know, I appreciate living here. We were protected and we were protected living here, right? When I say, you know, the 60s, I mean, we're on 59th. The next street is 60. So when I say we in the depth of the rolling 60s, we are in the depth. Matter of fact, they met across the street. That was their meeting location across the street at 59th Street School. I'm telling you. So if you listen and you know about it, you, you know about it. But get this. When these little boys, Poochie and them, T-Bone and whatever, Big X and Drop Dog and whoever, they were kids once. And Poochie, that group, me and we're about my age, right? Around my age, maybe, maybe a year younger, maybe a year older, but around my age as kids. And what would happen was they would act up in class. Now, my, I'm a first, me and my sister are both first generation college graduates. So my mom does not have a, a college degree. However, she know how to handle some cheering. Yes, she does have a college degree. No, she didn't have a college degree at this time. Okay. Y'all are not listening. She yelling from the, I got an AA. Okay, y'all all need to listen to what mama, what I'm saying, please. 
I'm, so anyway, my mom did not have a college degree at that time. Anyway, my point is she had a different classroom where she did some kind of resource training or whatever. She had a different classroom. Anyway, long story short, when those boys would act up in the class, they would send her to go sit in with Miss Bennett. Miss Bennett taught these fools how to read. Miss Bennett had them in check. There was no, they, there was no craziness when my mom had them in, in the little classroom and all of them respected her because she could handle them as kids. These are little baby game bangers. Okay. As kids. And she taught them how to read, gave them a sense of respect. And because of that, this here, right here, this house right here where I stand on the corner of 59th and 3rd Avenue is hollow ground for real. And, and it, and it is to the point where um, because we live on the corner, we have a, a, lo a long brick wall. And so sometimes, it, I mean, a brick wall, which is taggable. Like if we didn't live here, folks would have that wall tagged up all the way, night, top to bottom. But there was an unwritten law out there that they don't tag on Miss Bennett's house. So every now and then, every about five, 10 years, somebody would tag. And then they would find out who it is by the game sign and let them know, no, you do not tag on this property. So my dad would get out there with his paintbrush, do a little white primer, turn around, put the yellow up. He always had a can of yellow paint, put the yellow up and keep it moving because it would only happen only about every 10 or 15 years. Right, Kathy? It wasn't like every, it yeah. was just like, uh-oh, somebody new in the neighborhood, they don't know. And trust me, the rolling 60s was like, no, you don't do that. You don't tag this house. And we were protected. And I didn't know how protected we were. I mean, I knew we were protected, but I didn't realize the magnitude of what we what, what is affectionately known as Cell Block Bennett. <laughs> I did not know that Cell Block Bennett was a was a fixture in the community until Lisa came on, who was a rolling six, she called herself a six let, which is the girls, the rolling sixty girls partnership. And we talked about that and it was really interesting because she, she had me crying because I, and, and then I'm going to move on to my sister. She had me in tears because she told everybody, she told the girl, you know, like we couldn't go out and play. First of all, we could go out and play, but we had to be home. Not when the streetlights came on, but a half an hour before, if it started to get dusty looking, we needed to be on before the streetlight. Don't let the streetlights hit you. Now, now I'm not saying five minutes in the streetlights. Come on. I'm talking about before. And so we would ride our bikes and skate and do those different things like kids would do. But, and I would see Lisa and the posse and Poochie and all them. And we'd, hey, y'all. Hey, be like, hey, Poochie. You know, it was just, we just, every we just spoke to everyone. Right, Kathy, remember? We just, hey, yes. we just wave at everybody. And they would be teasing us. Hey, Catholic school girl, because I had to wear a uniform. Kathy did not. So when I would come home and I would walk down 59th or Slauson and come to the house, they'd be like, hey, Catholic school girl. I'd be like, hey, Poochie. Hey, T-Bone. You know, and it just... You just I always spoke. We always gave them the respect and they respected this house. So, you know, having said that, it is a, a lot has happened over the years, but they they respect, they really respect this house. But when Lisa said to me, you know, I couldn't I could play whatever and I would kind of come by and kind of roll over there where they were because they were girls, you know, and they'd be like, No, 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 go on over there. You don't know you don't want what's going on over here. And I didn't know why. And she said that she told them and everybody in the neighborhood know 
to not to talk to us about gang stuff because we were going to be one of the few that was going to be able to represent. Remember that, Kathy? Wow. We were going to be the few that would represent our community. So nobody ever approached us about being in a gang. Because remember, we got the Rolling Sixties and the women, the Rolling Sixlets, that's what she was calling them. And they were like, nope, they're off limits. So anybody who knew to the neighborhood, it was like, oh, what's up with them? They was like, don't even think about it. And I didn't, I swear, I did not know until obviously damn near 40 years later when she came on the show last year. And I was just in tears that I just couldn't believe it. So I'm setting this all up to show you the positive side of Black support in the sense that she saw something in us. She got taught by my mama too. And- and that 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 weird yet serious respect mm. for the for Cell Block Bennett because they teased us because my mom was so strict for Cell Block Bennett. Today, so 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 I, I'm leading that into the point where black there is some black support or there used to be back in the day. Today may be a little bit different how they run things, but back in the day, this is how it was here. And my mom has been in this house. It'll be, I'll be 56, 53 years in August. Okay. She came home from the hospital with my sister to this house. And so they've been here 50 um, before my dad passed. So now 53 years they've been here. And we've been a fixture in this community that long. Now let's talk about today's mess, shall we? Um, before I do that, let me give you a little background on, on uh, why I said that before I bring my sister in and, and the mess. So because my mom was kind of a TA, re- reading specialist, whatever it was, she got them boys in check and girls in check. So every year, huh? Educational aid. So you're going to hear my mom in the background, just let warning y'all right now, because she ain't going to be able to, you know, educational. I just, you know educational aid that's what she was and she she did her thing she did more than any teacher could at 59th street school at that time being able to teach those boys and girls how to to do their thing but here's the thing y'all so in summertime they would throw away books or put books out um rolling chalkboard just different stuff out and my mama would pick that stuff up or have them boys bring it over here to the house so in the summertime because i wanted to be a teacher and i was bossy I was out there with a long yardstick. I'll make this is only for the homies that would remember this. Maybe Kenny remembers those yardsticks. And I would be in the backyard and I'd be teaching and my sister, the neighborhood kids, and my sister would be in the background. So I'm teaching them what I learned, whatever that school year was. So here's Kathy, my sister in pre-K, you know, moving on. She already knew how to read. She knew her colors. Um, she definitely almost knew her timetables for sure by first grade. And I'm teaching her stuff because I'm teaching her what I know. What I was doing was I was putting her ahead. So when she got into the classroom, she knew all that. She was acing stuff, acing stuff, acing stuff all the way through. And mama would bring those books and we would be in here in the phonics. Mama would be up in here with the phonics. Back, this is back in the day, phonics, y'all. They don't even teach that anymore where you have to learn how to sound out the words and stuff. Hold on, mommy, please. This is interjecting with what you're saying. Hold on. Because I ran the reading lab. Okay, mommy ran the, she wanted me to let y'all know that she ran the reading lab and that's why she taught the little boys and stuff how to read. No, no, no. Whatever I ran out, I had a stack of money. Right. So whenever she, so, okay, so let me put this, interject this in and then she's going to be quiet for the rest of the thing. She ran the reading lab at 59th Street School and so she would make copies of stuff so that she can bring it home. 
So she would stack a stack for the kids, whatever, and then she'd make a stack for her and she would bring stuff home. And then I would take that stuff and then turn around and she would be teaching us. She would be, you know. So my point is, Kathy learned how to read super. I mean, I learned pretty well, probably like first, second grade, but Kathy was already reading like full on, like first grade, like what? And that was because she had all these different things that my mom would, would bring home and the things that they would throw away from from uh set aside but anyway I, I say all that to say just to brag on my baby sister so she and then I'm going to come back she graduated eighth grade top of her class valedictorian then she went to St. Bernard we went to Good Shepherd Lutheran she went to St. Bernard's she was a freshman class president sophomore class president junior class commissioner of state what was it called yes that was yes. Right. Commissioner, commissioner of state. state now commissioner of state is the third in command it, it, the commissioner of state is the equivalent of what Hillary was to Obama. Okay. That's, okay. You know what I'm saying? And then senior year, she was the ASB president. Then she won valedictorian. I mean, she was a valedictorian and she won a gold medal, which is sitting over there on the mantle of, of a most outstanding student ever award. Right now let's rewind. So that, Oh, I'm sorry. Then she went to that school in Westwood. <laughs> or I can't even say it because I need to drink some water. Uh, you need to say it. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna try my best. <coughs> UCLA. She went to UCLA. <coughs> okay. Anyway, Trojans fight on. Um, and she not only went there and did that, she did it and was finished early and graduated cum laude. College honors cum laude. College honors cum laude. How about that, huh? So Kathy was doing her thing. Now let's go back to the fourth grade because we were at Ascension Lutheran. I did third through sixth grade. Remember, Kathy's three years younger than me. Kathy did K through third. And so since Ascension ended at sixth grade, we had to move over. We moved over to Good Shepherd Lutheran that went to eighth grade so that I could continue in the Lutheran uh, school. And I did seventh and eighth grade there. And then Kathy did fourth through eighth grade. And then I told you the rest of her school. But this is why, I know y'all like, what does it have to do with the price of tea in China? Oh, I'm about to blow y'all minds. Get this. Except when the phone rings. Okay. Anyway, so here's the thing. Just take it and then roll back. Okay. Okay. So, um. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm doing my podcast. She'll call you back. <laughs> this is some real stuff. So anyway. So she gets to the fourth grade. Now, I'm going to put a pin there. The shooting where this little boy, 18-year-old, hateful man, who drove 200 miles in order to find an all-Black neighborhood so that he can shoot up the Black folk, okay? I mean, we already know hate crime, whatever. But my mom, when I came here and I said, Mom, I got to do my podcast here. She had just watched CNN. His motive was that too many black folks and Asians and others, but he, he didn't target Asians this trip. He targeted, he charted, he targeted black folks and killed 10, 10 black folks. Okay. He drove 200 miles. I need y'all to understand that from Los Angeles to San Diego is 125, 130 miles. Okay. So add another hour. So that would almost be the equivalent of going to Fresno from Los Angeles, just past Bakersfield, 
because Bakersfield is also an hour and a half north. So just to kind of give you a sense of people who've driven, or if you've driven to Las Vegas, okay, it's just short of two hours to Las Vegas. So this man didn't go around the corner. He was deliberate in what he was going to do. And his whole motive, which was just reported today, and my mom brought to my attention, that he was was upset that Black folks were taking the place of replacing, taking the place of white people, okay? So put the pen right there. And I'm finna tell you, and we're about to share you and share with you a real life agenda that happened to my baby sister in the fourth grade. So I gave you how, how I gave you the rundown, how she was smart, boo, 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 right? I set it up about this white boy who drove 200 miles. Kathy had a, a fourth grade teacher, white male. And he treated my sister so bad. She had to go to therapy and everything. So I'm going to let her kind of bring those feelings in and, and tell us about how this works. And you're going to see how it ties into this BS of not wanting black folks to be better than them. Ladies and gentlemen, my sister, Kathy Kiriyama. <sighs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. Also, yes. Carolyn P. Bennett is in the background. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about how you, when we we transferred to Good Shepherd Lutheran in Inglewood, and you're now a fourth grader. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you just finished Asian kindergarten through third. You know your timetables. You know how to subtract. You know long division. Kathy was on point because of her big sister, by the way. <laughs> Clear. Yes. So when we arrived to Good Shepherd, Good Shepherd was a pretty diverse school. It was probably 40% white, another maybe 30% black, and then the remaining, uh, what is that, uh, 30% uh, Asian, American, and Latino. Filipino, Latino. Right. Yeah. So, so it was a pretty good diverse. Student-wise. Right. And the students we're cool with each other. And that's what was so just disheartening that the teacher who happened to be the organist of the church. Right. So this was a guy who was a man who was, you know, known and had been there at the church for so long. I probably was an elder or something, you know, because he was the organist of the church. He happened to also teach fourth grade. And it was unfortunate that he felt that way, that I guess Black people were replacing white people because we were all okay. I, you know, the, the, the two white young ladies who were probably the smartest up to that point from K through third grade, because remember, I came in fourth grade. All of a sudden, I was like, now then, yeah, I was then the smartest. And so they were my friends. We went to each other's birthday parties. You know, it was like no problem with the students. It was unfortunate that he had the problem. And it was really uh, confusing. You know, I'm a child. I'm nine years old. I'm, I was taught to respect authority, especially your teacher, right? You do what your teacher says. Right. So for him to grade my papers unfairly, 
And I would know this for sure because I would compare it with my black friends as well as my white friends. And it was only me. It was only my paper that he graded unfairly. He would lash out at me. Like if I, if someone dropped their pencil, you know, maybe the student right behind me and I would bend down and pick up the pencil and hand it to the person. He would say, Kathy, 50 standards. He would just lash out. Like, what did I do? I was just handing the student behind me her pencil and I have to write standards. I don't know if you guys know what that is. You have Remember to write Stanford's, I will sentences. not talk in class. I will not talk right. in class 50 times, 100 right. times. Or, so I, I would have to do that. You know, it was like, what did I do? It's like, why does he hate me? I, I just didn't understand. I was nine years old. So of course I didn't know how to communicate that to my mom or anybody at that time. I just didn't understand. It would just only be in the classroom. He would lash out and, and just on purpose unfairly treat me in a way that was just, you know, you know, anyway. So I started to have stomach aches every day and I'd have to go to the health room. So I would, you know, be playing outside, be with my friends, you know, whatever during recess and then come into the classroom. And then it's like that cloud of Mm. just despair would come over me and mm-hmm. and he you know he would look at me just you know and just the way he talked to me it was just terrible and I would just get a stomach ache I would get sick to my stomach and I'd have to leave the classroom and go to the nurse and then I'd be in the health room and basically my mom would have to come pick me up and this was happening way too often so of course my mom was like what is going on because I know when you're home you do your homework I know you're turning in your assignments what is going on? So it was really only happening within the classroom. And how I, how funny, mommy, my, mom, our mom happened to be the fourth grade parent. Room mother. They, room mother. Room mother. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. That's what they called them. The room mother. So which means she was the, one of the parents who would assist with field trips or Anything, any events <laughs> right, that, the, right. uh, that the fourth graders needed, she would assist with that, bring in whatever or right. coordinate whatever needed to be coordinated so that the fourth grade students had what they need. So <laughs> my mom is the room mother <laughs> or one of them. Maybe there's two. But so he's doing this to me. And again, I, I'm nine years old. I don't know how to explain this. I just know that he hates me and I'm trying, I'm trying my best. And I'm still trying my best and it's like it's getting worse or he's still doing it. And so my mom figured out that, uh, yeah, something was going on inside the classroom. So my mom, unlike a lot of Black parents at that time, took me to counseling. <laughs> and that's where it was uncovered. I was talking to the therapist. I would go, I think, once a week. And my mom, you know, you know, so I was in the room with just the therapist and we would talk about things and so it came out that yeah he was treating me this way and so my mom ended up going to the principal and letting him know she knows what's going on in the classroom and she bet he better do something about it or she will stand up in the church on Sunday and say something because we also attended it was a parochial school and church so we also attended the church that was, you know, the school was part of. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, I guess over time he was able to talk to him and, you know, but again, this was a man who was the organist of the church. So he was like a pillar of the community there community, right, at right. that parochial 
you know, in that parochial environment. So it was not something that even the principal probably, it was a delicate thing for him to even approach him probably, you know, because he was much, he was older even than the principal. So it was very um, physically and mentally and emotionally just traumatizing. Wow. It as really a, as was. As a nine-year-old kid. As a nine-year-old. Because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't understand. Why would he hate me? I'm trying my best to please him. <laughs> I'm trying my best to do my work. I'm trying to be quiet. I'm trying. Not you know, picking I didn't up any pencils. Right. I didn't know what to, anything I did. It just like it, I was in trouble. I was like, oh, my goodness. Why am I in trouble? I don't. What? You know? <laughs> so it was very. So thankfully, mommy took me to a therapist. Again, most parents probably would not have done that at that time. And I think people even said something to my mom, like, oh, you know, whatever, you don't go to no shrink, you know, you don't, what, what? you know, but my mom was like, I'm my, my, my child, something's going on and I need to know what's happening. So I'm going to get her some help. And right. thankfully she did. And I was able to, you know, so um, go back, go back to how you found out about the paper Cause you didn't, you didn't explain how you, tell so us about I would get the papers side by side. Tell us about that story. Please. Right. So, you know, we have math tests and English or reading tests or whatever at that fourth grade level and history tests. And first I was getting all A's, right? Cause as Corliss said, I, you know, I was kind of ahead. So I knew I would do well. And first I was getting A's and then all of a sudden he would grade me where I wasn't getting an A maybe, or it was a little off. But I was like, I know that answer is correct. I, it's like I knew that. So then I would compare it with, you know, Carrie's paper. Or I would, and then I would compare it with Heather's paper. So these are my black and white friends. And they would have the answer correct. And I knew that was the answer. And my answer would be the same, but he would mark it wrong. Mm-hmm. Now that's, that's, and I was like, that's oh blunt, that is so blunt and, 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 and uh, bold as hell. That he would do that. And, and you, so, so you're saying, you just make sure I set this up. You'll have Heather, who is the white student, yes. your paper lined up next to hers. And she has the exact same answer. The exact her. answer. You have the exact same answers as her, but your paper was marked with red X's saying it was wrong yes. in order for you not to have an A on the paper. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yes. you, so you would, you would compare the two. You would compare the two papers. You would compare the two papers. And so one of the girls, actually, one of the girls, you saw that or whatever, but um, apparently the mothers brought it to. um, Yeah, which I didn't know that. Mommy told me about that later. So evidently one of the children's, uh, the white uh, she I was my was friend. Jennifer. I think it was Jennifer. No, that was Heather. Because Heather's mother worked in the office. She worked in the school office. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. So maybe it was Jennifer. Jennifer right. might so have one, told, Jennifer's mom might have told mommy or whatever. Right. But, but you're right. Then I had another white friend who, her mother is the one who, praise God, you know, again, that's why you can't be prejudiced and you can't be racist. You You have to take each person for whom they are. You can't just say all white people are like that or all black you know, Mexican people are like, people are like right, you cannot right. do that. This white woman called my mother <laughs> and told her, you know, your child is the smartest one in the class. And my mom was like, what, you know what, huh? 
and, and, and yet I'm going through these issues with, you know, the teacher. So my mom is listening to her. And so then she figures out, oh, that's what's happening. And then again, through the counseling, the therapy, I was able to reveal that. So then she put it together that he was on purpose targeting me mm-hmm. and making sure that I wouldn't succeed or making sure that I would be, um, not the you top know. person in the class. Right. And, 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 and just to break me down, he was just trying to break me down and it was working. I was just, I mean, I was starting to physically just get ill. I, I just felt, you know, like, what am I doing wrong? You know, I was doubting myself, but I knew I was doing the right answers. <laughs> you know, I knew when I would go home and do my homework, mom, you know, it was right. And I knew the students were fine with me. I didn't have a problem with anybody else at the school. So why, why was this happening to me? It was very uh, traumatic, very. That's interesting. And the thing is, mommy, I, I begged her to take me out of the school, basically. And she said, no, that's exactly what he wants us to do. I cried. I remember <laughs> on the floor at my mom's, you know, legs at her feet crying please take me out of the school. I was just so, you know, like, please, I just can't deal with this, you know? And she's like, no, we're going to stay because I'm sure he's done this to other black little children. He is not going to get away with it. And I just remember crying, (laughs) but thank God mommy, you know, was strong enough to just, you know, help me to stick to it, do my work, just, just do what he says. He's not going to do anything inappropriate because she is the room mother. So she would know about it. So she's like, just hang in there and, you know, we're going to get through this. And so thankfully I was able to finish fourth grade <laughs> with A's. He, you know, at some point he knew they were on to him. Or well, everybody, what kills you know. me is, what kills me is y'all have the exact same answers. Sometimes yes. y'all would even study together sometimes. Yes. So it was just it's, it's, it's appalling so to me. I remember I even just talking about it, my stomach just drops. Oh I remember God. when I saw it and I was just like, oh my goodness, he hates me. It's me. It's not the black kids. It's not even, you know, that I'm a girl. He just hates me. So I, I really took that on. So if I didn't go to counseling, I would have thought something was wrong with me. Right. I would not have got done as well in school. I probably would have started acting out. Because there was no way for me to, ex- to express that to an adult and tell them that he's doing this, you know? So think about the kids who have suffered that, who never told anybody that. And now, you know, they probably started acting out and doing that. They probably dropped out of school. You know, they just thought that they, something was wrong with them. So anyway, it, yeah. I, I, it's So I'm glad mommy stood up, even at the... <laughs> the expense of her own child, you know, but she again, supported me like, no, you're, you're going to be okay. (laughs) You just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and, you know, we'll handle it. So, so so um, this is interesting because again, with, with the being mindful Mondays and the things that we're talking about, mental health and mental health crisis and, and, and our community as a people, we do not like to go get counseling. Now, now um, COVID has changed that. But that's been the last two years. But prior to that, we we definitely didn't know. I mean, you know, it's so many historical reasons, the Tuskegee incident, the uh, sterilization of women, all of there's so many different things that happen over the years as to why black folks don't trust any kind of medical field, doctors, 
anybody, psychiatrists, because of what they did to us with those experience, experiments and things um, back in the day. Um, but as you can see, I mean, imagine how many people went through that and didn't realize it and now are labeled i can't remember what they they, they, they label them in the in the in the school district because um um my therapist is a therapist in the in the pasadena unified school district i think it's called iap iup it's some kind of i oh they have yes individualized so what happens is when the student acts out or something happens they automatically just say oh he's an iep he needs special thing special ed and it's not even about that. They they could have been going through something that like you were going through or who knows what it is. But they are so quick to label Black African-American students with these labels, which then pulls us down. And some of these students are bright, eyed and bushy-tailed and can do the work, but something was going on that day or that teacher said something to them. They spoke back and then got into a back and forth. And then all of a sudden they, they're labeled as an IAP or whatever that word is, whatever the, the acronym stands for. And, and it's amazing how that happens. Go ahead, Kathy. Yeah. And you know, and what's, what I'm thinking now, think about the young black girls. So if I hadn't had the intervention, think about, I could have been trying to get the approval of men, right? And think about how girls go down that, that yeah. road of, you know, uh, just, you know, trying to, you know, make sure that, you know, something must be wrong with me. So then when a man or a, a, a boy gives me attention, then, okay, I just do whatever they say, right? Then I can just, so then, you know, you're going down the road to human trafficking, right? Right. Prostitution, right, all that. Right. So a lot of these young ladies probably, you know, definitely have promise. Oh my goodness. We're, you know, we're on their way to success and then we're broken down basically mm. to believe that, no, I, you know, I guess that's not for me. I guess I just won't do well or I, I'm not good enough, but I can do whatever the person who gives me the attention, I can do whatever he says. And then of course there are, there are abusive men, right? right, right, right. <laughs> there are people who will try to control you then and manipulate right. that. And they right. see that they notice right. these young girls and then they befriend them. And, you know, so it's just, that's terrible that so many, probably so many young girls in our neighborhood. Oh my goodness. Across the world, <laughs> not just in our neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's that, that it, it puts them in that, pattern that cycle and of, what's so sad know. is that it's happening more than less you know yeah. just the fact i mean just the fact that that happened to you as a fourth grader nine years old like that is so traumatizing and i and i and, and, and i and i remember you would be growing up and you would just but then when you get home you would be fine but long as you were there you know, like you said, recess, you were fine. But then when yeah. you walk back in the classroom, you, your stomach is knotted and you're just yes. really stressed out trying to figure out what to do. And you're, and again, you're like, what am I doing wrong? I, I didn't know, um, my mom even mentioned it in the background. I didn't know that when that student dropped the pen and you picked it up, that he just automatically was ready to punish you and that yeah. you had to write 50 standards. I mean, that is, that is just straight up racism. I just, at, at its finest. And I cannot even imagine what you were going through as a ninth grader, I'm sorry, as a nine-year-old in the fourth grade, knowing that you studied the material, 
you know the material. Even if he he could have given you an oral test in front of that whole class and you would have been like, boom, boom, boom. And then he really would have looked stupid because here's your paper that he's marked down next to or next to Heather's paper that's identical or Jennifer's paper that's identical, whatever, however that went down and however it, it, you know, mommy found out and how it all that. The main piece is she knew with, with my, with us being first generation, right? My mama's paid special attention. She did not even get a full-time job until I graduated eighth grade in 1980 is when she started working for the banks. It was then she made sure that she, she worked part-time so that she can get out and be sitting there in the car waiting for us to come out, you know, uh, um, and help us with our homework or whatever and, you we know, need pick to us do, up, go to the library. Right. Pick us up, take us to the Angela Mesa's library mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or bring us home. She made sure that she had a part-time job. So then when school was out, she was there. There That's was no right. latchkey mess. Well, none That's of that. Right. And only until once I got to ninth grade and she started working, then that's when we started taking the bus. Mm-hmm. And she would do, she was first drop us off at the bus stop. Well, she would drop us off at the bus stop and then we would go on our way. But my mama wasn't playing. She was like, nope. She, like you said, she was a room mother. So when it was somebody's birthday, she would help bake the, the uh, or get the balloons or bake the cupcakes or make the cake or whatever. You know, that's what it was, you know, the elementary situation. But because of her upbringing, she wanted to make sure her girls could, she could give them, give them us, <laughs> them us, us the best. But the fact that she was so involved and that he had the audacity to do that to the real mother's child, like that is so hell of a bold. <laughs> that is so, that man was bold for real. But getting back to my mom, so again, she worked and she'd be off by one, two o'clock. And I think school was out at three. We had a full nine hour day, Ooh, eight to three. And my mama would be there parked in front, if not already in the office talking to whomever's mama, Heather's mama, whomever or whatever. But she did that. She's paid special attention and she watched us as she saw that something was going on with you, just like she saw what was going on with me. I shared this on the Wednesday show, I believe on In the Mix how she realized how when I would get teased and I would cry and be just so upset and whatever, and I needed to have that self-esteem boost. And she, she would try her best to say, Oh, you know, that's the kids. It's the kid. But she, she like you saw that you needed help and got you a therapist. She saw that I needed help in the summer of, of Ooh, 79. Cause eighth grade was, I graduated mm. in 78. So 78, 79. So the summer of going into my eighth grade, cause I graduated in 1980. She said, okay, I've got to do something for my child. Just like she did for you. And she sent me to hypnosis therapy. See, this is what parents are not doing. My mom was like, okay, there's something wrong with my, there's something wrong with you. I'm going to send you there. So I got to get Corliss right because this is ridiculous. She is just, you know, she's in the seventh grade. These kids are still taunting her. I remember when I got my hair done one time and I always, I always tease Nicole Butler. Yeah, I said her name um, because I, I thought I was so cute. I had got my hair done, pressing curls. I thought I was just really cute. I was like, look, my hair, look, you guys, look, you guys. And I don't know if you remember the locker room at Good Shepherd. It had the showers, but we didn't take showers. We were in there. We were dressed. I don't know if you remember that. You kind of remember? Yes, 
I do. And so I'm getting dressed and she was so jealous and so wrong. Um, sorry. She was so jealous and so hateful that I was feeling so good about my little curl. Seventh grade that while I was getting dressed, she turned the shower on me. Nicole Butler. Oh, she turned the girl. You know that movie Mean Girls? This is some real mean girl stuff we're talking about. She, t- yes, she did. So she turned the shower on me, and of oh course my. it was a press and curl. So that was the end of that. And so, yes, she did because you talked to Miss Vetra about it. So anyway, that's uh, um, Nicole Butler's uh, mom. So I remind Nicole every now and then about it. I'm like, that's all right, shower girl. She's like, you ain't got over it. No, I ain't got over it because you was just an evil B-I-T-C-H, period. And so we still, to this day, I will bring it up. And she'd be like, when are you going to let it go? I said, "I, I can't. I can forgive, but I'll never forget. But I mean, and now that, you know, being around students and, and, and therapy and, and helping students and, you know, I get calls about students and stuff all the time. I can relate because I was there, but my mom knew she's like, she sent me to that therapist. And when I got back in the eighth grade and they started to tease me and I was able to come back with a one liner or shut them down. It's like, Oh, you know what? It's, you know what? My mama told me you, you the one that got the problem or whatever. And they weren't used to me coming back at them. And I've been that, that the birth of the the true Dr. Corliss P. Bennett started after Val's uh, uh, hypnosis. And and so I'm saying that to say, as I watch the time, I'm saying that to say she came from her upbringing and she was not going to allow things to happen that she saw back in Jackson, Mississippi. And and so she had the 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 forethought to see that you were having issues every time you would go to campus but you weren't sick at home she knew that i was being teased even really up until seventh grade i kind of finally it, it started to tone down like third when we switched when we went to ascension lutheran the teasing didn't happen as much but when we got to the shepherd but but my point is this parents out there and maybe maybe the pandemic helped you because now you had them little rug rats at your house that you had to now homeschool or supposedly uh, be an authority on them to get on the Zoom calls. But now you know how important it is, how school is important, and how hard being a teacher would be when you have 32, because my first class of eighth grade had 32. I didn't have no problem, first of all. Let's, let's be clear, because I wasn't playing. But 32 different personalities. Now so taught at a private school, so I didn't have to worry about the crazy craziness, but 32 different personalities and being able to know each student so that I can talk to the parent and say, you know, or pull a student aside and say, Enrique, come here for a second. I said, what's going on? Are you okay? And I could just tell because I was, I was in tune to my students. I don't know if teachers are like that. Some teachers are, and they are in tune to certain students, especially like, you know, if somebody was like you now, and it was a teacher that was really in tune to her students, or if you were in my class, I would have been, well, I wouldn't have been that teacher. But I would have been wondering, like, why is she down all of a sudden? What's going on? What's going on? And 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 so a, a person that really is there for the cause of being an educator, who wants to lift our race, who wants to educate our students, those are the those teachers that really can tune in to some of these situations. And, and there not, aren't any more. There aren't any more of those teachers. Well, they will. Fortunate. 
Yeah, they will surely say everybody on this. Uh, and Ke- and Kiana just sent it to me, or was that you? Individualized education. The IEP. Yes. The IEP. That's what it's called now. And so they. I'm sorry to, to always- interrupt, but my daughter, who is now starting with Teach for America, she is one of those teachers. So there are some today. There are some. She is very caring, very in tune with her students, uh, the people that she tutors as well. She's been a nanny, so she deals with all ages, but specializes in K through second. So thankfully, there are, there are some. There are some out there. No, <laughs> Very and there, and few, though, right. probably. And there are, there are some. It's like there are some counselors. Not all high school counselors are bad, but there are some that their their whole agenda is like, I'm not letting this black girl get all this scholarship. I'm not going to let her. I'm not going to help her getting to college. So I'm going to tell her that you are not good enough to, to, to go to a four-year institution like that nun told me 37 years ago in my senior year of high school, when she told me I wasn't good enough. And I couldn't believe why she would tell me that being that I was on the honor roll all four years at St. Mary's Academy. So it's like, we have these different specialized stories that are happening that are continually happening with these counselors that don't want to help teachers with these teachers that have attitudes about stuff, it is ridiculous. And it doesn't have, it doesn't mean that, first of all, let me start out by saying nothing is absolute. Okay. Nothing is absolute. So therefore, when I say there are no good teachers anymore, it's like also saying there are no good men, but we know that there are good teachers and there are good men. However, because, because the field is so narrow. Corliss, you might remember when I was at Youth Opportunities Unlimited, and I'd say 89% of our student body had IEPs. All of them had IEPs. And every IEP came with an issue. And part of the issue was that they didn't get the right teacher. It wasn't the kid. It was that the kid had some kind of issue that originated from a parent. The kid was not the one with the issue. The kid was simply a product of the issue. And they gave the kid the IEP because that was the only way to handle those kids that were either wards of the state, put them in foster care. They got money for it. All schools have to have a certain number of IEPs. I mean, it's a whole rigmarole. It's, it's a whole, it, it's ridiculous. But so, what I don't like about it, it is it's, assigning it to a student that doesn't necessarily they, need And they do the assign IEP. kids. And that's IEP. the problem. That is they the problem. They do assign kids. And they, and there are parents who think that it's beneficial for the kid to have an IEP because it offers the parent a lot less responsibility, responsibility, the parental responsibility of being there. The parent has to be there for that IEP meeting, but the parent isn't there any other time. I was the parent that was there all the time. They got pissed off. That makes off a difference in the upbringing of the right. girls they and got the upbringing off. of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, they got pissed off because I was there. Yeah, they can't. They, they, also, don't, they don't like it when the parent. They don't want you. They don't involved. want you there. They no. don't want you there. They don't want you there. And we live in like Sandy. you. And like you, my mama was in everybody's face. And I think I like, was in everybody's face. K8 for me, she did not work. She did not work. She did my kids. I worked and still I was there. And Pam, I'll never forget at Shell School, they put Kiana on the 
bus and sent her from the school to the daycare with chicken pox. <laughs> and yes, and Pam, who was the school secretary, her way of, 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 um, giving me a reason for that she was able to rationalize it by saying we know how busy you are and you travel i said that's not your business i said i might be in new york city what your job is you're supposed to call me and tell me what's going on with my daughter i don't need you to think one thing about it you call me and tell me what's going on she put my child on the bus and sent her two miles to the other school with her not being able to see had a headache of 101 week. And when the daycare called me, she says, don't get upset. I want you to calm down before she even told me anything. Cause she knew Ridiculous. I, it would take Ridiculous. me all of 10 minutes to get from Los Angeles to San Dimas, which is an hour drive. Okay. What's really sad is, and I'm glad that person was in place. And I'm glad as far as with Kathy, that Heather's mom worked in the office. You know, that there's interventions. Right. But what I'm saying is Heather's mom was able to let my mom know. And right. so there's these few hit and miss people, but there's, there's, they're far and few between. And it's unfortunate. I can't like, I, all I can see more though, than that, Corliss, it's even more than that. And I, no, I understand it's even more than that. My granddaughter today goes to a scout event in Sierra Madre. And I took my daughter and my granddaughter to the scout meeting about two, three weeks ago. And I'm sitting in the car while they're out at the scout meeting. Now, she's the only black kid in the scout meeting. I overhear a conversation between two white guys, two white guys, two, one, two, two white guys. And the white guy that was doing all the talking says, I don't know what's wrong with black people. Black people think that that they're the only ones. And I'm telling you, they have organizations, they organize, they have this, they have that, and they still complain. Black people aren't doing this. Black people aren't doing anything. They're lazy. They're lazy. They don't, and, and, and they keep saying it was slavery that built this country. It wasn't slavery. White people built this country. It took every ounce of strength to keep me sitting in my car and not getting out and walking over to this guy. I got out of the car finally when they walked away. And I told my daughter, she can't stay here. She's not staying here. She will not go here. I saw that same guy in the church. Mm. I walk up to him and I said, what is your name? He says, oh, 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 oh. Uh, uh, my name is Phil. I said, is this the church where all the activities gone? Oh, yeah, this is the church. This is the church. I said, and your name is Phil? I will put him on blast and tomorrow I will be putting him on blast. He's a troop leader. He's at the church. He's talking in a, not only a racist tone, you can feel his racism. I felt it from across the parking lot, 200 yards away. I could hear him and I felt it. And he well, that told lets me you know, that lets you know that this race racism is alive and well. It's alive and, parents, and well. And parents and we, who are listening to this, I need you guys to understand that right. the only way that you're going to know is you need to be involved 
in yeah. your students' schools and in your students' lives. That's right. And 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 I used to do in my presentations. One of the things I would tell people is to have family dinners. We don't do that anymore. Where everybody sits down for dinner. No, now we have to say no phones, no games, no PlayStation, no television, no, no Game yeah. Boy, and all that. The right. little Game Boy thing. But to actually sit down and have a conversation during dinner time, because especially when they're young, because have everybody share. That includes the parents or the tias, the, the aunties or the um, abuelas. Or that's Spanish for grandmothers, grandfather. Whatever that family structure is. Everybody has to go around the table and share. So therefore, the students, the kids feel involved in their parents' or guardians' lives, and the guardian feels a part of the students' life. So for example, let's just say I had a big report, which I do have a, a PowerPoint I have to do tomorrow. And let's say they say, mommy, what's going on? Let's say it's me. And I'll be like, yeah, well, mommy's got to do this PowerPoint where I've got to add some slides to the admissions presentation at St. Mary's so that when we do this big presentation on Thursday and it's my time to speak and my slides come up, I'm able to talk through these three or four slides, right? And so the, now the kid feels involved, like, oh, mommy. So then what ends up happening is a couple of days later, you're at dinner time again. The kids will say, oh, mommy, did you finish those slides you were talking about? Now, they may not know nothing, John from Adam, but they remember how I was feeling that I needed to finish these slides tonight after dinner. So I'm going to need you guys to do your homework and keep the noise down, blah, blah, blah. So that's just an example. But we don't do that communication anymore, family-wise. We communicated here, you, you know, again, you know, where I'm at my mom's house, we communicated. And I think too, with my mom, she was so in tune to us. See, my dad worked two jobs. He brought on, remember that commercial? I can bring home the bacon. He can bring home the bacon. She was the one that fried it up in the pan. Okay. So he well, brought actually, home he the bacon <laughs> and she fried it up in the pan, right? And, and my mama's breakfasts were good. We were talking about cooking yesterday at my sister's house. But my mama's breakfast, the scrambled eggs, the grits, the, the sausage, the eggs, all that. But anyway, he would bring home the bacon. She would fry them to pan. He worked two jobs and that was his thing. He was like, we going to get these girls. My mom was like, my girls are going to private schools because I don't want no mess. And, and so it just translates to, to that. And so the fact that she was so in tune to us is the reason why I am who I am today. I was looked at a, a thing that went across um, Facebook and it says, I'm a strong woman because a strong woman raised me. So we're going to end on that note because it's 559, but I am a strong woman because a strong woman raised me. And so Kathy, thank you so much for coming in last minute because my, my, my guest had emergency. I appreciate you sharing your story. Clearly this is something that goes on all the time. And that was 40 something years ago. So it's still going on and it's sad that it's still going on. So Very thank sad. you for Catherine. Thank you. Or I said Catherine cause that's your legal government name. <laughs> Kathy. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for sharing that story because I'm sure, like you said, your stomach even dropped and it's been 40 years, 45 yeah. years, damn near 40, yeah, 45 years um, that that has happened. And the fact that it, 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 just a little bit of it just kind of reminded you of the resilience that you had as a nine-year-old that you were able, and that my mom was able to get you to counseling so that you could share why things were bothering you. And I'm just so glad that my mom had the wherewithal not to, not to whoop nobody's butt because, you know, I'm just glad she didn't. 
because then we'd be visiting her in jail behind the glass. But um, <laughs> she she handled that in the best way that she could. Um, yes. And 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 both for you and realizing my issue and putting me through hyp- uh, hyp- uh, hypnotherapy is the reason why we're strong today. Praise really- God. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for tuning in to Mindful Mondays. This is Dr. Corliss P. Bennett. To stay tuned next week. We got a really good show for you. My my girl who ended up canceling at the last minute due to an emergency has got some things about black women, sexual health, how to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves. Because you know that's what Mindful Mondays is all about. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And you look good, Doctor. Doctor uh, I was just waiting for my one minute with you. <laughs> well now it's your show, so now I can you can talk as well, long as you yes, want. Yes, I just wanted to ask you about the place of implicit bias before I slide into my show. Because I had a tenure professor in tears last week who sent me her evaluation and the dean said blah 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 and we understand also that there could have been some biases in this evaluation then if you understand there's a bias in the evaluation and they included for people of color No, I'm very specific now. I'm drilling it in. And it's in writing. So, do you want to talk about a perception or not? Because if you are an unknown entity, some people will consider you scary. While some people will think, oh, this is worth exploring. Why do we default to that first option where you are scary and all the fences and defenses come up. In this same evaluation, because it's there to me, I'm monitoring it, they also said Dr. XYZ does not understand that this is an anonymous report from students. So I asked this colleague of mine and I said, do you have the report from the student that you see? It was all great, 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 great. But the university will not judge this person and tenure track. Tell them we understand implicit bias, but you have to change. What will you change when the student tells you you are the greatest? I'm asking you, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Kelly. Shaking my head because it's just so wrong what, that we have to continue to go through this mess in 2022. Yeah. It don't make no yeah. sense. Wow. You you also said some things at the tail end of your show that shook me. Okay, oh, Kenyatta, this is his show, so he's asking me a question during his show. So I'm, I'm mindful. Mondays is over, and he's asking me a question during his show. So we can this is my show. The, we can turn down the music because we we're on his show now. Okay, I don't know if she heard me, but go ahead. We this is a scenario. I'm bothered as a male, right? And I'm not particularly blonde or blue eyed right now. Not right now, at least. Not right now. 
and uh, you said, oh, blah, blah, blah. Thank God they're not visiting to your mama in jail. And let me, let me rephrase that to my own social cultural context. Mm-hmm. You know what is important for me? Mm. Is to make it home. Where I am loved. And I say that with all the emotions involved. I'm not a coward. But if I make it home, I will demand my rights while I'm alive. Yes. And, and that's uh, and that's exactly that's exactly the way we need to think. And when we get home, male and or female, when we get home, we need to strategize with our family. We need to strategize with people who are close to us, who understand who we are, who know who we are. We need to take this into our own hands. Because all too often, things are happening to us. Things are happening to black folks. And we cannot understand why. We cannot, not only do we not understand why, we almost don't know what to do about it. Right. And in some cases, we don't know what to do about it. Because we don't have the control in our hands. It's time for us to take control. Because if we were better at us, they couldn't do this to right, us. Right. You see, they don't do this to anybody else. Right. Okay. And they don't see yeah. us as a community they and we're not, we're us. not bonded. And so we're they, not, they can no, attack us one not. by one. They can attack us and tear us to smithereens. Yes. And we sit back and we take it because we don't have troops. We don't have communities. We have hoods and we proudly have hoods. I don't live in a hood. I ain't living in a hood. I'm not going to live in the hood. Okay? Because that's how we are associated and that's how we're seen. And we're taking everything. They take everything away from us and we say, gotcha, boss. It's okay. I know that's how you see us. I know you's a good man, boss. <laughs> really? Really? Well, to answer your question, yeah. um, Godwin, I mean, it, it is unfortunate. And, and like you said, your fight is those evaluations. Because Absolutely. why would the students lie? You know, and those evaluations are from black, brown, purple, polka dot. Students, right? And then you have, um, this evaluator. This is your boss that, that did this, that, that for your evaluation. No, I'm, I'm sharing, uh, an evaluation of a colleague. Mm. Yeah. And his or her evaluations, the student evaluations that we fill out at the end of each, the students fill out at the end of each semester or the class are showing this positive side. Mm-hmm. And then you have the evaluator who is the boss of, or the chair of that department. There we go. That, that, that is probably white, correct? And, and can't, again, it goes, I don't know how much of the show that you heard before, but there are people out there that cannot stand that we are educated. There are people, I'm just going to say, there are Caucasian people out there. White people, white people. That cannot stand when we are educated and that we are doing something that is positive in the community. And that person who is trying to break down your colleague, even though the evaluations say otherwise, cannot take, they, they can't take it that we 
you know, us talented, quote, quote unquote, the talented 10th is doing something positive in the university community. It's not even like I teach the black class and so all the black students are in my class. This is a regular class, correct? With everybody and their mother in the class, meaning all races, creeds and, and stuff. And it's still not enough for this person that they their job is to break down your colleague so that he or she will leave or otherwise. And that's the that's the piece, and I and I have to say it, that's the piece where therapy comes in. Because guess that what? person needs that outlet to be able to talk through that. Because again, therapy, the therapist doesn't solve your problem. The therapist helps you to solve your problem. But you got to be able to get that off of you somewhere so that someone that's non that's that's not judgmental can help you process what the hell is going on. So I don't know if you can suggest that to your colleague, but it sounds like um somebody's at the door, Mom. But, but remember, remember that what is expected of us is what we saw on the night of the Oscars. Okay, what is expected of us is that kind of behavior. That's what is expected of us. They don't expect us to be intellects. They don't expect us to rise above. And that is what is expected to us. That's the other reason it is so easy. And I've tried to explain to folks, those that say, oh, nothing's going to happen. Oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, there, there'll be no loss. Oh, are you kidding me? Really? Really? No. There are losses all over the place, including shows, including changes in the framework of next year's Oscars. Okay. Including, yeah, oh, yeah, a whole lot of changes in all. Oh, it's a whole lot of changes because of that. Okay. Uh, but, you, but, but you know what? I don't want to keep a uh, Dr. Burnett beyond a uh, lot of time, but uh, I try to make it five minutes before because it's actually the highlights of my own show to listen to always uh, amazing guests as we have the conversation with Dr. Godwin Orke. And uh, and it's always topical. The tail end, she always saves the best for last. And I've been thinking of equity. I always think of access. I think about what is important to me without being an emotional person is to make it home. Then I'll prove my right later on. But I don't want to live in fear. And uh, when Miss Yolanda was talking about we they or them it bothers me also it troubles me because we're not having we're building a divide rather than the in all encompassing and inclusive community and let us pick an issue right now that i'm passionate about you may not know this about the maternal and infant mortality ratio in the u.s it's almost like that of the third world. It is not talked about enough. There is a clip I will send at the end of this show where we are going back to the base right now to ask the basic questions. That is why we have Dr. Emeka Obidi with us today. 
And uh, I appreciate you asking that question, and, and maybe we can if we can pair up together and and do something because um, I do have to go now. It. But yeah, I would love to to get back with you and, and pair up together and talk about some of these issues because it's real. Wow, I can't even. Yes, it is real. So making it home is as important as proving my right. Yes. If I have my rights and if I make it home, I'm sorry, I will make it home first. Absolutely. I hope Absolutely. that will be my choice. Right. So, Miss Doctor Burnett, thank you for the usual handover because <laughs> I have a guest here with me, and I will pass the mic to Miss Williams. All right. Well, thank you for thank you for um, having me. I know you like to kind of get on the tail end and jump on, and I appreciate you um, asking me that question. And it's, it's sad, but but please talk to your colleague about that because if he or she doesn't. They will have a stroke and die and they will replace them and they will replace them within three days. That's how they feel about us. They'll they'll stroke us out, have us all in the hospital. We did and they will replace us. And we have to stop allowing the, the institution to do that to us because that's what's happening with a lot of our folks. We're stressing out and we're not getting any help. Mental health, peace out. Nice to meet you, sir. Meet you too. Monday on Mindful Mondays. Bye. Bye. And it is time for In Your Own Words, a conversation with Dr. Godwin Orkay. And we've got with us this afternoon, Dr. Uh, let's see, Amika Obidi. Dr. Amika Obidi. Dr. Obidi. Thank Hello. you for joining us right here on ITRN Radio. And it's a pleasure to have you with Dr. Orkay this afternoon on In Your Own Words. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Dr. Obidi. Dr. Obidi is a board-certified pediatrician practicing for over 17 years in Western Maryland, where he lives with his wife and three kids, holds a master's in public health at Colum- from Columbia University School of Public Health with a concentration in maternal and child health. That is fabulous. He is the founder and CEO of Partners in Pediatrics and Family Health, a family medical practice where he leads a team of four medical providers caring for both pediatric and adult patients. He is also the CEO of Newborn Prep Academy, where he runs an online course called the Newborn Preparation Course that helps new expectant and recently delivered moms to understand how to care for their newborn baby and what to expect so that they can feel confident and empowered as new mommies and ultimately enjoy their babies and the new life that they bring into the world. That's absolutely fabulous. I just heard yesterday, today I think it was, they were talking about SIDS and Mm. they found, they've just recently found a reason for SIDS, even though based on what they were talking about, it's not in the form of a diagnosis. It's the form of an aha moment, at least based on what I heard. And I could be wrong, Dr. Obidi. It's almost like that's what you should have been doing in the beginning. <laughs> Although I do know someone who went through that tragic experience of the baby having SIDS and there was no explanation for it. So I really appreciate what they were talking about and I appreciate that you have started this new academy. And I certainly hope that it's across the country. My daughter went through uh, postpartum and the new age 
kid with babies. They don't listen to us seasoned people <laughs> who had them, who know how to do it successfully. They'd rather not listen to us. And they go to the internet to read what mothers in their generation are talking about. But those mothers are having the same issues. So they don't offer any other information other than I went through the same thing with mine. You know what? I, I'm, I'm a mother who, who is 70 years old and, and I listened to the elders about what to do and it worked. <laughs> it worked. It, 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 it is interesting because you talked about your beautiful 70 years old that you have. <laughs> but uh, it's one of those days where I will be emotional because the last time I saw Dr. Obidi was at our graduation in medical school, 95 crazy to think about that, <laughs> Dr. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I have been Time going so quickly. Oh, How God. long ago was that? Been, Dr. Obidi, this is 1988, and oh, we worked together. Yes. And because because our last names are in the old group, we've yes. always been in the same cohort. That's so true. We are <laughs> alphabetically. And when I grabbed him by this crop of the neck in the middle of the night. That's literally what he did. What? <laughs> Yes, he, he should. so it's it is uh, seeing my colleague, seeing my mate that is passionate in the same population health issue. He works in maternal and child health with his MPH. I mean, it's essentially we are swapping seats right now because when I look at Doctor Bidi, I see me. And I see his active involvement in the social media right now. And I said, we can do this together. And the first question I asked him via WhatsApp today was, people will stumble when they try to call your name. And you. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, we have somebody called Barack Hussein. Obama as president. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Obidi, just out of the blues, <laughs> what's in the name? What's the meaning of your name? What does it really mean? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me on here. It is a pleasure to see your face in after so many years. You know, we've wow. spoken a few times over the years. Looks the same, doesn't he? I don't think, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, have, we have the same haircut. Uh, for sure. You know, low maintenance, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do it myself, DIY. <laughs> right, right, right. But it's a pleasure to, have, to, to, to be here with you and to, to you know, just share this space with you um and as godwin knows as dr okay knows that's actually the shortened form of my name right so the full name is chukwemeka which means god has done well <laughs> so names, done well. Names, names do have meanings especially from the part of the world we come from you know they're not taken lightly and um so i'm grateful for my name Oh, thank you yeah. very much, Ms. Williams. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is really important to us because it's not just the sound. Mm. There's the meaning and there's a reason. Yeah. So yeah. when we have a name, there's a story behind it. In mm. this show already, Dr. Bidi, 
we've had somebody who ran a foundation and it's called faith. Mm. I said, how did you arrive at faith? In the in America, we don't have reason for names. We just like the sound. Yeah. And she, and she gave Frank Quisha. Frank Quisha. Francis Skeeter. The person is black because there's a shy at the end. <laughs> right. So now that leads me to the next one of implicit bias. Because once you apply for a job and your name is Laquisha, Fanquisha, Emekaquisha, or Godwin Kisha, <laughs> already put them in a box. Mm-hmm. But right now, we now have somebody for 17 years has been working diligently to build a cadence, to build a practice. For the practice, we understand. For the cadence, maybe strange because we are finding somebody who is trying to follow the times, understand, understand the tune and the momentum and know how to dispense the message. Because if you are too fast, you are the angry black man. <laughs> If you are too slow, you are the opposite. And there is no godly luck spotting it. <laughs> Always a balance. But Dr. Bidi, uh, I was looking at your newborn academy. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking myself, and if you may permit me, what is the idea behind it? And what took so long? Because my <laughs> parents in Africa, Mm-hmm. We'll go to the market, we'll go to the farm, mm-hmm. pregnant, they will come back with a baby strapped on their back and <laughs> the server live on their head and they've had the baby because it was not a sterile process. They just had the baby. All right. <laughs> so now why do you need to teach women how to be mothers? Take it from there, Doc. You know, honestly, I think um, it's interesting you said, you know, what took it so long. Um, I've had to actually embrace the fact that this is um, an area of my practice that I enjoy immensely. You know, I love taking care of newborns. I've probably taken care of over a thousand newborns at this point, well over a thousand newborns, actually, at this point. And um, I think, I don't know, maybe part of what I found interesting is the fact that you typically, especially if it's a new mom, they come into the practice, you know, come into that visit, feeling anxious, feeling concerned, um, a thousand and one questions, and you're actually able to palpably help that lady in that situation at that moment, um, at the end of the visit, just a more relaxed person, a more confident mom, you know, which has ripple effect, you know, on the way she handles her kids and takes care of her kid, on the significant people in her life, you know, on how she shows up personally also. And, you know, um, um, Ms. Williams Colette was saying earlier on, is actually, she actually makes a fantastic point about the fact that we've gotten to a place where we're not as quick to listen to seasoned old voices. And I use old respectfully, you know, um, we're all old right now, right? <laughs> um, I'm in my fifties as it is right now. So, um, but seasoned voices that are able to really speak to not just empathize with you, but sometimes actually offer very helpful advice, you know, and yes, some of it may, be unhelpful 
But I think even just knowing that someone has gone before you, has handled this, has come out on the other end and is still strong and surviving and confident. I don't know. I think it's a big resource that um, lots of moms don't tap into, you know, which is one, well, maybe things are not quite as they are, as they were when we were back home too. But I think that's one one of the advantages of the community that we come from, Godwin, right, where um, there is still some degree of respect for people who've gone before you. And there's still some degree of actually at least listening to what they have to say, because oftentimes there's wisdom in the words they have to say, right? And even if there's some fluff around it, you can at least pick out the fluff and actually, you know, live with something that still is able to benefit you. So, but I think that was a roundabout way of saying um I found that it's a part of my practice I enjoy the most and that oftentimes, I mean, May is, um, Martina is, is a mental health month. You know, oftentimes these moms, um, are also dealing with postpartum depression or the blues and are not even comfortable voicing it oftentimes. Um, and some of the things that contribute to it can be, um, prevented if they were given enough information prior to that baby coming or just as that baby was coming um, because when they have a concern they're having to wait for a few days or a week or a few weeks to get to the doctor's office and they're carrying this worry and concern the whole time right which steals such precious moments that they have with their newborn so anyway as you can tell it's something i'm passionate about so. thank you thank you dr Bidi. i just i must slide this element in what <laughs> and I like the fact that you talked about. I know you know what I'm going to say. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the last time we had like not the on and off on WhatsApp, but the direct encounter was via your mom. Oh. <laughs> yes. And uh, still kicking one... and going strong and almost 80, yes. right? <laughs> and and your mom asked me one year after we graduated, 95, 96, mm-hmm. uh, since I was uh, an intern at the dean's office to process your transcript. Mm-hmm. And a mom's job is never done. <laughs> you had to bring that up. <laughs> yes. No, I've been dying to, to remind people. But it's true, you, mom's you job brought it done. in. You brought it in because now we are teaching people to mother because of all the conflicting information and things that pop up. And your mom was not going to wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she got up, found who was there, and said, Get this. Because it was not a favor, it was just getting it done. Mm-hmm. And if one day we flip this seat, I will tell you some things my mom did. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I went home recently to bury my stepmom, mm-hmm. but I also visit my mom in the hospital. Mm. My mom told my auntie to follow me everywhere. <laughs> Make sure <laughs> I'm <a> safe. <laughs> exactly. The work is never truly done. And it is a maternal instinct. That is yeah. why in all our conversation, and as I'm looking at your academy, 
and I asked you what took you so long. I'm trying to break, I'm, that is actually what I'm pulling at to see this is almost common sense that is not common sense. Yeah. And you're talking about postpartum depression. You're talking about access to resources. You're talking about equity. And you're talking about every other thing that comes with it, which will include Google University and and Facebook College. Mm -hmm. So in your academy right now, which I find really fascinating, but more so your live stream on Facebook, (laughs) which is why I said I need you on my show, not only on this show, but on multiple shows. How did you arrive at that journey because oh, we were trained for this you have all damn all night <laughs> you know i think you know um um that you're so correct we're not trained for this which is really a huge disservice to us as a physician community just speaking you know at large right now as a physician community was so such a disservice to us because um we are whether you're employed or not, or you own your own practice, or you're, you know, you're doing your own thing or not, there is so much that is to be said. There's so much to be said about being in a place where you can confidently articulate yourself and the message that you, you know, that you carry, um, being able to advocate for yourself and your patients and your community, you know. And I think that um, uh, when physicians are not taught to um, be leaders in that sense and also to be able to own their voices and that's a term that sometimes can seem very um, I don't know what word to use now very millennial or so right Um, but it's 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 um, it is a real concept actually owning your voice in the sense that you're actually able to speak confidently about what you believe in, regardless of who's around, and you're not worried about what people think about you and if you're going to sound good or not and, you know, whatever, right? Um, and think about all the messages that we carry, not just as physicians, but, you know, whatever profession or whatever, um, you know, our body of work is, all the things that we carry inside of us that nobody else gets to be able to tap into or benefit from because we're just afraid to be able to speak up, right? And just, you know, with some, through some business coaching and association, I've sort of, you know, more recently been able to sort of step into that space where I can speak, you know, what I'm passionate about and not worry about how I sound and if you're making sense or not. Hopefully I'm making sense. But, you know, it's, um, it's, it's been the journey. You're right. You know, this is certainly not what we're trained to do. And only people like Godwin O'Care, Dr. O'Care, who has always been a firebrand and always been able to speak his mind and show up very confidently, you know, but you are in a minority, my friend. Um, uh, sadly uh, so, uh, though. Sadly so, because, <laughs> you know, really uh, everyone. My brother, that is, uh, that is a honor. Mm-hmm. coming from you and I, and I thank you for that but remember that this show 
is being recorded. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. <laughs> and it can be heard both on Pandora, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music, iArt Radio, Simple Cast, and the Black Talk Radio. Because this is a show where our focus remains always the same. No matter what you are talking about, the spin is humanity. Mm. And in that spin, it's not all gloom and doom. Yeah. Because we want to ask you the question I will ask you right now. Why do you keep going? But before I ask you that question, I will ask you, a question that emanated from what you said. Uh-huh. So what keeps you up at night? Oh, <clears throat> that's an interesting question. I don't know. Um, I did probably several things. Um, maybe, um, I think being able to, um, spread the, maybe spread is not the word. Being able to fully step into everything that God has created me to be, you know, and being able to, um, I think for too long, I would speak to myself anyway, I've played small, right? And I think there's just so much that, so many lives that can be touched, so many, so much impact that can be made if I'm able to fully step into everything I was created to do, right? So I think that's, that's something that does keep me up. You know, um, uh, I, I know you were talking about equity earlier on um, in the pra- in the area I practice in uh, a large population of my a large segment of my population of my patient population um, have medical assistance and, you know, are of lower means. And it's, excuse me, really interesting. Well, maybe interesting is not the word. It's um, there. Sometimes we gloss over how much of an impact, you know, your, um, your, your, up, your background, your upbringing, your frame of reference, you know, um, what part of the tracks you're on from even sometimes, how much sometimes that can affect your health and, um, and how much you advocate for yourself, right? Um, I mean, take the simple, not simple, take the problem of childhood obesity, for instance, you know, much larger in African-American community and uh, much larger also in lower socioeconomic, you know, sort of uh, um, communities. And there's just so many factors that are, that play into that, you know, access to proper health care, access to um, an affordability of good food and nutrition and, you know, healthy choices, um, just the environment you grew up in and what you what you were exposed to, right? If all you've known was this sort of food or this kind of nutrition, you know, it's it's just all you've known, right? And and I think sometimes it's also just this helplessness um, that people in that community can feel, which is sometimes sad to see, right? Because um, even when there are resources available, uh, there is sometimes just, you know, first of all, sometimes they're not even aware of what resources are available um, and where there are resources. If there is a stretch to get to it, you're not able to advocate yourself for yourself to 
tap into the resources available to you to access those 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 um ancillary services so for instance you need to see a nutritionist you know they're 30 minutes down the road you know you're thinking about your car and if your car can make it you're thinking about oh i've never driven on the highway before things that other people will take for granted you know that maybe travel you know an hour just to go see a show right that you don't think twice about but someone else is worried that your car may not get them 30 minutes down the road to see a nutritionist, you know, to be able to get information they need to address a health concern that can have far-reaching, you know, implicate, um, uh, implications into their life and how, how they're able to show up. So it's, yeah, you know, I think there's just some of those things are more and more, um, and more in, attuned to and, gradually begin to lean into what I can do my own small way to to help. Well, Emeka, it's uh, it's strange. Not just because we are glasses and we have the same hair. <laughs> but uh, I see me talking to me. Uh, and if you were in Los Angeles right now, I would have described a main boulevard, Western mm-hmm. Avenue, as you move from south to north and how everything changes, which is what I hear from you. You describe access, not just beyond physical access. You're talking about also being affordable, adaptable. Do they look like me? Will they take what I want? And all the other A's that we can all talk about. And acceptability. What if I don't really want that place? 30 minutes, it may not be a problem, but if it's 30 minutes to see somebody that I'm not comfortable with, mm-hmm. then I add an additional burden, and that will affect my health-seeking behavior. Mm-hmm. But you also said something which I would like to explore, which is on um, available resources. Because, for example, in my town, and I'm part of the hood. <laughs> Homelessness mm. is a problem in Los Angeles. May not be in my immediate area, mm. but really a half hour away is the homeless capital of the U.S., mm. Skid Row. Mm. And once people apply for something or some benefits and the gatekeeper excuse me for using that phrase, but that refers to the first person that vets in my lingo, Mm -hmm. says no, or asks for more information. People usually stop at that point. They don't go to the next step. And the original question we asked you, which is the thing, it's What's in the name? And you told me a maker, Chukwe maker, and you explained it to us. So what's in a zip code right now? Mm. Yeah. You know, I think the, the, um, when you start to talk about issues that affect access to care and access to resources, um, and just a general condition in the African American community, I think it's such a 
multifaceted issue. Um, and some, because there, there's so many things you, one of the things you mentioned was absolutely correct where you talk about, um, the barriers that, that whether real or perceived, you know, um, for the person seeking the care, um, part of it is not being able to advocate for themselves, right? You know, not being able to say, okay, sure, you know, I'll do the next step or sure, or no, I shouldn't have to feel that, you know, whatever the case may be, right? Um, I talked about, you know, the person who can't go down the road 30 minutes because their car isn't able to make it. But at the very back of the insurance card is a number they can call that actually provides transportation for them, right? Um, and, well, first of all, they may not be aware of it. And secondly, when they are, it is, you know, just an effort to ask for that help or to go through that process. But also... There is also, and, and I think it's, it's important to mention that also, that there sometimes can be a helplessness that we feel also when we do get these resources and where um, it seems like that's all you have to live for. I mean, I would tell you as, you know, uh, practicing in, in a community like this, the number of times I've seen someone who is able to um really strive for more and able to do more right yes maybe maybe difficult um but there is almost like a, an apathy to be able to reach for more and um and um and get more not just for more sake but for all the things they can do for you and your family right uh, so it's just there's just so much <laughs> around those issues and sometimes we all pick our stations and our battle stations and sort of you know go at it from that end uh, i like what you're saying earlier on about pro pro providing a home i think you called it or a, um, you know a welcome place where you can come and sit down at the table and discuss those issues and see where there's common ground and see where we can take a step closer to a solution right in some of, along some of those lines um but yes it is sad to see and um and hopefully some of those some of those things that so hopefully we can make some progress i don't know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know uh, I, I like that last sentence hopefully we can make some progress because uh, at the end of the day it's not just being altruistic we really want to make a difference and i remember our days back in med school emeka that was a long time <laughs> a <lot of> <laughs> we had afro we had everything <laughs> <laughs> but we've reached this stage now in our lives and uh, and I'm going to scare you by telling you if you are not aware that that we're adding the baton right now to the next generation <laughs> and the question will be oh my god when did that happen mm, I know I have a pre-made daughter mm, same here <laughs> <laughs> yes, like yours or like mine or as the case may be you know I do their thing I take care of them but it has we are now in the stage where we can still dream but the pace has changed you are a pediatrician <laughs> And the babies always come with their mom. So you do maternal child. You, know, you cannot separate much. <laughs> yes. And as a maternal child health specialist, 
you've talked about access, which is my own line of work. You've talked about equity indirectly, and I've talked about just the inability to follow through. Because let me, let me tell you a story. Uh, I, I teach a class in health advocacy. And uh, one topic that is not included in the curriculum is negotiation. Mm. So in my day job, I always bring it up. <laughs> and I learned this from my chief in the Navy. You know what he told me? What? This is a problem. Propose a solution. Mm. Then bring them to me. Then he will choose that we can go back and forth on it. Yeah. So I had a conversation with a student who was struggling to pass. But I noticed that student was really, truly struggling, point one. Honed up to it, point two, and actually submitted everything, even if it was late, including via email and not through the portal. So for effort alone, in my heart, I'm ready to talk to that person. Mm -hmm. It was not ghosting. And yeah. that student told me, if there's any way I will accept the submissions. And you know what I told the student? What? Uh, when you talk to me, always have an ask. Hmm. Be specific. So I will know what to look at. Then also have offers. Hmm. And I ask the student, I've seen your submission. What do you want? And he said, oh, he has not thought of it. Said, okay, I will give you a moment. And this is uh, only this moment. What do you uh, want? Student said, I want to pass. I said, with what grade? Mm, mm. And he said, a C will be fine. A B will uh, work. Uh, and I said, I am finally glad you made a specific ask. Mm. Then I told the student, what if I give you a counter offer and I can see the face drop and zoom? Mm. And he said, what is it? I said, what if you send this one that you missed and you get an A in this class? And you could just see the seat, eject button, flip over and say, can you? <laughs> Now, when you go to the housing authorities and they deny you for your Section 8 or something the first time, which is mostly what they do, people just stop at that point. Mm. That is the value of education and empowerment. Yeah. I work, I'm employed, and now in my own mindset, I set the problems. Then I have offers the solutions for senior leadership and we can dance around it. In the past, I will lay the problem, then walk away. Then yeah. we all will know. So now I'm made to think twice, speak once and wrap everything up so I don't look like, I don't know if I can say this on radio, jackass. Mm. But now we now have people who don't have the same level of patience, tenacity, yeah. and they want to access these same services. 
already available from lack of insurance to any other hindrance, stopping them from accessing it. So what is your take on the social cultural context of health equity? Then I have a million dollar question for you. <laughs> that question is waiting. Oh gosh, you raised so much, you know, and it's really sad actually because it does sort of come back to what I was talking about earlier on about being able to advocate for yourself and having and owning your own voice, right? Because the same attitude that you have where you are um, denied something once and you turn away and not even ask, you know, for, you know, on, on, another option or preferred another solution or, or, you know, where you just feel like, okay, that's it, done. This door is closed. And that's the same um, attitude you're going to bring to everything else, whether you're trying to access a bank loan or you're trying to access, you know, information from a mentor or someone that could be a mentor and you're not able to ask, you know, for the information you need or mentorship you need, you know, just, it's, drizzles down into every other aspect of your life so that's really um really sad i think you know hopefully you know brings up another point that hopefully we can get to a place where maybe we stop arguing about maybe we stop focusing as much on those higher level issues and come down to the roots you know what if we start to teach negotiation, for instance, in grade school and high school, right? Um, especially in communities that need it so that they are able to actually speak up and they're able to realize that, oh, well, I'm not trapped in this situation, right? I can actually reach for more. I can actually reach for services I need. I can actually reach, reach for resources I need, right? I was um, um, having a chat with someone else earlier on and we were talking about self-care and she asked, you know, is reading a book self-care? And it was a nice, interesting question. And I was like, yeah, in some ways it is, right? Because you're care enough about yourself to realize that I lack this knowledge. And so I'm going to read this book to obtain this knowledge, right? Um, so maybe we get back to teaching our younger folks, you know, how to be more confident, how to ask for what they need, how to negotiate, how to speak up, you know, how to do those things and gain those skills that allow them to be able to overcome those obstacles if they should still be there. 10, 15, 20 years from now, right? That it's able to be able to scale that a little easier than, you know, than is present, than presently occurs. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, yeah, yeah. I actually have to even ask myself if I'm teaching my own kids, you know, how to stand up for themselves. It makes a lot of sense because you know that in some community, advocacy and negotiation is not part of it because mommy says so that is enough mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. yeah yeah and if yeah. you say yeah. any other thing yeah. you are smacked right yes <laughs> and i will tell you i've had to fight about fight against that in myself too because i said to realize that does not serve my kids at all because you're going to go into a community and into a world at large even with the you know, um, with the, let's call it for what it is, privileged, you know, 
uh, um, um, place in life that they are at, they're still going to go out into a world and it's still going to challenge them and cause them to have to speak up and stand up and advocate for themselves and negotiate, you know? Um, yeah, it's, 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 it doesn't, some of the ways we raise our kids do not serve them, are not going to serve them if we're not careful. Yeah, yeah. So we either spoil them or we pamper them or we ignore them, but none of those work because at the yeah. end of the day, they will not make it home. That is why in this show, in your own words, as you probably have noticed, Dr. <laughs> Bibi, after not seeing you for a million years, <laughs> it, it is unscripted. We let you be free. We want to know what drives you, what keeps you going, your practice, your vision, because you are one of those that I noticed joined the social media platform, started live streaming videos and stuff. And I said, something is burning him right now. <laughs> I won't say where. <laughs> but it is a usual conversation with me, which will be the first of several that will come up. And uh, we would like to give a shout out to your practice. We have everything available. And uh, uh, please link us to your Facebook Live. Sure. So that we can all share. Because this is really an online talk show that allows the guests to be themselves while discussing topical issues of our own times yeah, and their passion, which is important, and also respond to the tough questions we may ask, particularly during these unprecedented times mm. where people have stopped being kind. Yeah. If we remember that the focus of the show is humanity. Mm. At the end of the day, that is why that question came up. What keeps you up at night which is simply hey what did i miss beyond all our degrees but today i'm just showing off <laughs> that uh, you and i were in school together all through <laughs> those years and we are still kicking some part of the body which some parts of the body still kicking <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk not about the it. ibuprofen we have to take to make them <laughs> <laughs> but we're doing it now the million dollar question I have is on competence and inadequacy Dr. Bidi uh, Emeka uh, currently we're dealing with the infant formula shortage mm. what took us so long to identify that the supply chain and what is your recommendation, your suggestion? What is the way forward? If you were in the fly in the room right now and uh, you want to advise President Joe Biden, what will you do? This is a rephrase of my typical question. My typical question would be, if you were in Loma Park, South Central LA, I would have asked you, what will you do if I give you a microphone? But because <laughs> you are not in Loma Park, my issue right now is the infant formula, mm -hmm. and uh, you are a pediatrician, maternal child specialist. You work in public health, population health, and uh, you are active on social media. What will you whisper to the president's ear? Mm, you're going to get me in trouble now. 
<laughs> you know, I think that um, we we need to get to a place. You know, one of the things that I love about my practice and the culture that I constantly try to walk at is to have a place where people are recognized for who they are, very valuable members of society, regardless of what car you drove into the practice with, you know, how much is in your bank account, what the color of your skin is, that people are valuable and people are precious, right? And I think that sometimes we are bogged down with issues of um, power and issues of, you know, um, things that divide us and put us in our camps and trying to retain control that it can be easy to take your eyes off the people that you're there to serve and to recognize when something may be going amiss and to um, recognize or be willing to do whatever is necessary to fix the problem, even if that may work against you politically or otherwise. I don't think we've gotten to a place where yet where our leaders truly, truly just look at the person on the street, the mom who is trying to find formula right now and say, how can I get formula to her? And might, and regardless of whether it hurts my chances of, you know, pleasing some constituents or constituency or the other, you know, I'll do what I need to do to get that need met. You know, and that's regardless of what side of the political divide you're, you're, you're on. But I think when we start to focus more on the people and what they need in whatever area we're trying to address, um, then we start to make decisions that are more practical and decisions that, you know, that at least start to get at solving the problem. And so I would say, you know, there are more than enough smart people in the room. They know exactly how to fix the problem. They just need to be willing to, um, look past politics and look past, you know, what's convenient or what's advantageous to them um, and solve the problem. You're muted. <laughs> I can't hear you. I think you're muted, Godwin. <laughs> okay. I said you have just blown me out of my socks. Oh, no. I haven't. <laughs> Not my shoes, but my socks. I'm completely out of it because it's it's common sense approach. And I don't want to say it is what it is. But in a long, in a roundabout way, you've told us it is what it is and we can fix this. So as we ramp up this show in the next minute or so, Emeka, I just want to tell you how honored and privileged I am to speak with you. And uh, the recordings, once it's available, I cannot wait to broadcast <laughs> it everywhere. Because uh, this is uh, two individuals who have undergone this journey since 1988 walking through med school, doing everything and valuing the place of mom. Mm. Yes. And his last contact, I said mom. And that is truly easy. But uh, typically, I will give uh, Yolanda an extra minute to say something to wrap it up. But Emeka, I must also give you only one 30 seconds to define <laughs> maternal and child health, your area of work. What is maternal and child health? 
Oh wow, um, this is on the spot. Um, I think it's just being able to maximize um, a, mo- a woman's ability to care for herself and her family, right? Um, yes, just give her all the resources she needs to be able to do that. Thank you very much, Dr. Obidi. Thank you so much for having me on. Getting that, so I will pass it on. Pleasure. To Thank right. you so much. Thank you so much. And I am asking Dr. Orke if it's okay that I ask Dr. Obidi to please come back very, very, <laughs> very soon. Very Thank soon. Thank you so much, Ms. Williams. It's a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you as well. As well. And, and you know what? With the the maternal issues that Black women are facing, we need to have you here. We need to have you on. They just talked about it on Good Morning America, and Black women suffer the most. And we need to have people such as you, Dr. Obidi, right here with us so that the word can get out and lives can be saved. Much thanks. Much thanks. Thank My you pleasure. so very, very thanks much. As usual, Dr. Orkay, you are second to none. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. And you have been listening to In Your Own Words, a conversation with Dr. Godwin or Kay. Have a good evening, everyone. We will see you tomorrow with Change Matters. I keep getting something in my throat. Forgive me. <clears throat> you have been listening to ITRNRadio.com. Get this and all of your favorite podcasts on and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Join us tomorrow for Change Matters. Have a good evening. We will talk with you then. Be safe. Wear your mask. Be good to yourself and others. Take care. Have a good evening.